Last time on Queer Dungeoneers. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question. We did get a couple that kind of doubled up, so I put them together and we got a couple of ones that were quite long, so I kind of paraphrased them as well. And we've got a couple that had multiple questions in them, so I've split some of them up and put them in, I guess, similar categories. We got so many questions that I had to split this into two parts, so if you haven't heard part one, I recommend going back and listening to that first. But if you have listened to it, let's just jump straight back in. What's Queer Dungeoneers? Good question. Speaking of questions! Smooth. Wow. I'm really good at this, guys. After that pretty deep one we had there, these are the questions I have categorized as the fun questions. So, Elsa asks, what character from any popular film would you introduce the party to if you were forced to? I didn't come up with an answer for this because I suck at these questions, so... I'm horrible with these ones too. Can I go first? Yes. Donkey. <laughs> from Shrek? Yeah, from Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a that's an interesting choice. Can you imagine Donkey meeting the party and them just being like, wait, the rest of y'all could hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was going to choose Nick Cage. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> that's a real human being. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> just pick any character he's played, it's close enough. Oh. I would introduce the party to Harley Quinn from The Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn because I think... Oh my god, Jolene would be in love as much as she could be in love. Yeah, her brand of chaos would complement the parties quite effectively. It's a more kind of uh, edged chaos than uh, than the party necessarily does. And also I think the party needs therapy and she's a qualified psychiatrist. <laughs> That's a very well thought out <laughs> answer. You got us there. Thank you, I thought of it while we were having the break. <laughs> Actually, I've just thought of something based on the conversation we had in the break as well. I would introduce the party to the deer from season two of Infinity Train. <laughs> I think they would be flabbergasted. I think they would be off kilter. I think they would have met the only being in the entire universe with more collective chaos in itself than, than them. I guess you're going to have to dedicate a hundred minutes to watching the entirety of season two of Infinity Train if you want to understand what that one means. <laughs> It's a good investment. What we're saying is season two of Queer Dungeoneers is going to be Nicolas Cage, Harley Quinn, <laughs> the deer from season two of Infinity Wars, Donkey from Shrek, and... Severus Snape. And Severus Snape. <laughs> okay. Tag yourself. I'm Donkey. I'll be honest, you've pretty much described season two characters already. <laughs> pretty much. If you say so. Sammy's concerned. <laughs> Our next fun question from someone who calls themselves someone. Mysterious. Ooh. What superpower would you give to your character? And for Sammy, pick the funniest character to give the power of invisibility. All right. I'll keep thinking about that one. Now, this question was difficult for me. Yeah. Because shape-shifting is a superpower. Talking to animals is a superpower. Flying is a superpower. And being invisible is something that Nim can kind of sort of do as a wind elemental. So I just said, I don't know, laser vision. Fair. I was going to say super strength, because that's the only thing she's lacking. But she but strength is her highest stat. When has it ever come in handy? Actually, quite often. Yeah, when she hits things. True. I was similar because Cremora has magic powers, which are su- which is a superpower in some things. I'd either go with like su- like superhuman intelligence, like she's already incredibly smart, but like up that to the next kind of level, or I'd give her some like telepathy or like telekinesis or something. She can basically already do that though. Exactly. That's this is the problem. She has magic powers. 
No, I'm going to say I'm going to give her shapeshifting. I'm going to steal shapeshifting. But she can do that too! <laughs> yeah, but like, that's true. Fuck, she can use polymorph. Um, <laughs> this is the problem is that she can do everything with magic. I'm going to say that her superpower is... She's got a big sword. That's her superpower. She, no, I'm going to give her a gun. That's her superpower. A big sword that is also a gun. A big sword that fires smaller swords. Perfect. I guess the superpower I'd go with is um, better coping mechanisms. Oh, wow. Yeah, getting real there. Characters that don't eat dirt. These are supposed to be fun questions. I take fun and I make it unfun. <laughs> I think for Jolene, it would be the power to pass through things. Ooh, oh, that's good. Clipping, Ooh, no yeah. clip. Yep, no clip. She could steal whatever she wanted. No, 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 take it back. Infinite pockets. <laughs> just like whatever garment she's wearing, just pockets appear on it. Infinite pockets, you can fit anything inside, no matter how big it is. Wow. That would be so handy. So to whom would I give the gift of invisibility? Hmm. I've thought long and hard on this issue in the last five minutes. <laughs> And I've got to go with Barnold the Dinosaur. <laughs> I just think, one, it reflects how he feels. I don't. I think it's involuntary and constant. Um, but I think in the end he'd use it to kind of trap people to being his friends. Like he'd just wait and then you'd run into him and you'd be like, hey, want to have a talk? <laughs> no, no one ever stops to talk to old Barnold. Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane, you can... <laughs> Say my name, Mr. Cellophane. <laughs> yeah, etc. That's Barnold with invisibility powers. <laughs> you know who I'd give invisibility powers to? Is it Samira? Because that was my number two. <laughs> <laughs> no. What a waste. No, you get you get a second guess. Brumpo. Stuff Pramada. <laughs> I think that it might So I never happen. have to see his stupid face again. But then it'd have like Cheshire cat vibes, and I don't like that at all. Yeah, that's horrible. Oh, that makes me like them more. Next question. Next question. Our final fun question comes from Isa, aka Zach and Elster. When will the casting call for the musical adaptation be open and that they want to try out for Vern? And then a really sweet, lovely message about queer rep and the difference between TTRPGs in Germany and the English-speaking world. So thank you for that message. It was really nice. Uh, the casting call. I want to make this happen. <laughs> when I read these questions yesterday, I just got to thinking about how you'd make a cutie musical. And I got so into it. I just, I got so tunnel visioned into, well, how would you translate this like hundred episode four act story into a two hour <laughs> musical? Like that's half an hour per arc. Although you could cut down the first arc into probably something that was quite short. Like you... Mm. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can't sing, I can't dance, and I can't write music, but it is my dream to make a musical one day. <laughs> I'm doing nothing towards that dream, but I assume I'll fall into it eventually. <laughs> and the QD musical would be a great place to start. And I should also add to what Scarlett said, she's already done some musical parodies that are QD related. That's true. So I think, you know, between Sammy's drive to just materialize it in the world <laughs> and Scarlett's actual, you know, thinking about it and making it happening and then, I don't know, maybe some actual musicians and choreographers, this could happen, guys. I do think the opening number would have to end with the explosion of the dam. Yeah. Like, the opening yeah. number would be, like, three minutes long. It's da 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 Either 
that or smash open on the explosion. That's actually not a bad call. Just like everyone's sitting there in the theatre waiting, the lights go down, everyone's like, oh, the music's about to start. And instead of the music starting, someone just takes an entire drum kit and drops it. (laughs) (laughs) That jazz voice will come in handy for for Patsy. Oh my God, no. Oh, that would be painful to sing a whole musical Um, in. We may have to fund like a vocal, a voice box replacement for Jared by the end of it. Uh, But you know, with our ticket sales, I think we can make it happen. Yeah, we'd sell three, four, five tickets and they wouldn't all be to my mum. To be fair, we do we do a lot of business on the door. I agree. Merch. Yeah. Selling the entire podcast on a CD. We could mark that up. Mm. Anyway, we'll let you know when when tryouts are happening. From Raina, I assume for Sammy, probably also for Jared. Mm. Did you come up with Dicey Decky on the spot or was that something you had come up with beforehand? I came up with the rules for gambling beforehand. Fun fact about gambling in the QD world is that mathematically, because of Patsy's abilities, it is technically in his favor, unlike in the real world where it's not. However, I guess the risk of going on a rampage and ruining everything is too high to really make it worth it. Uh, However, the specific Dicey Decky thing really came on the spot with me just needing to pull a game out of my ass, as one might say. And that fantastic line from Jared that just swept me off my feet. (laughs) Don't talk to me about Dicey Decky. I invented it. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of my favorite lines in the whole show. I was looking at this question. I was like, oh, God, that was great. Yeah, I think that's one of, honestly, the best moments. Um, Certainly we had so many great story things happen in the second half, but a lot of the iconic quotes were from the first Mm. half, so that's definitely (laughs) one of the, like, second half things that will be forever burnt in my mind. That's a beautiful segue to our next question, which is another combo question because we got a couple of different versions of this, from Emma, who says, what were your favourite moments playing your characters slash in the podcast in general? And from Scarlet1T, what are everyone's favourite moments from the campaign? Uh, D- Dicey Decky. <laughs> I liked, I enjoyed playing Cremora whenever she got really exasperated. Yes. <laughs> and frustrated with everyone else. Going, going back to what I said at the start about how Cremora was, I knew Cremora was going to be the only smart person. And pl- kind of leaning into that and being like, God, no, what are you doing? Oh, t- mm. like just that energy <laughs> I, I thought was really fun. I also liked all the deaths. They were good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got that here too. I've got all the deaths. I liked them. They were nice. I also ended up really enjoying playing Nim when she was flustered. Not so much in an exasperated way in terms of like, I know more than you, but in a like, when she thinks she's being really clever and someone just like, totally is like, no, actually I know more than you. Or just the entirety of the events on Dinosaur Volcano Island. (laughs) (laughs) I loved everything about that. I don't think Nim really developed as a character, but I sure had so much fun. That was good. Playing flustered Nim, but a flustered that was informed by, I guess, a kind of fear, but also just kind of reveling (laughs) in the ridiculousness of the events. On Nim getting absolutely whomped, the other thing I had put down, the thing that immediately came to me when I read this question, was uh, Nim and Patsy in the border forest. Yeah. Yes. That whole sequence is just so good. Oh, the whole harpy split up and everything. The whole, the harpy split. Just the the classical music that Sammy chose to put behind it. Just (laughs) everything. It's so fantastic. That whole sequence. I absolutely love 
My one of my other all time favorite moments um, was between Jolene and Nim in the Pick Your Poison. Oh fuck yeah! That entire episode, the PvP, it was just the stakes were high. We were both so into it as characters. It was so much fun to know that yeah, like we were literally battling it out for for Cremora's soul. Yeah, like adding on to that, I feel like that particular fight was probably one of my favorites. And in line with uh, probably me in general, all of the fights were actually my favorite. <laughs> like any any fight where Jolene just like does shitloads of damage. Yeah, that's the good serotonin time. <laughs> Math rocks go, go click, click clack. clack. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Jinx. <laughs> I also, I just think it was such a beautiful, like, role-playing moment as well. Because I knew you, Tori, like, you wanted Cremora to come back. But Jolene was like, fuck this shit. Guys, the demon's bad. I don't know if you noticed. The demon's kind of, it's bad. Yeah. But yeah, oh god, all the deaths were amazing. Mm. The suspense, defeating Kartos, defeating death, the scaly juice. Iconic. And he downs the scaly juice. Oh, burned into my soul, that is... (laughs) So while I very much love uh, letting Gyul improvise and stuff and and totally driving the campaign in that way, you know, there were specific sessions where I had a point I wanted to get it to and I was like free balling it, trying to get it there. And those were always really fun because it was like playing 3D chess, trying to like (laughs) (laughs) lead you into the hole I want you to go in without you ever feeling like it. Or either that or like the situation was always going to blow up in a certain way and it was just about what you all did in the meantime until it happened. Um, my number one of that being, um, of course, the ghost zone being created while you were on the airship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh that was so good. <laughs> and just like letting you loose on this weird detective situation that you had very little ability to stop. <laughs> Speaking of detectives, the interrogation episode. Yes. That was so that much was fun. fun. That was fun. That was pretty good. In terms of playing character, to sort of go a bit back to Scarlet's thing, I think some of my favourite Signana moments were the Cremora Signana moments, Mm. just like the absolute, like, the birds and the bewitching. (laughs) Just the visceral frustration of just like, what the fuck do you mean this is not how it actually is? And then just like the unearned confidence. Yeah. It felt great. Oh, also cactus juice. Oh, cactus juice was so- Who fucks a swan? (laughs) (laughs) That is one of my favourite lines. That's incredible. I love doing these sort of things because going back and remembering everything and getting to laugh at it again. Yeah. 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 Oh. I think one of my favourite moments from the campaign, and I talk about it a lot, is Chekhov's scaly juice. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that was just absolutely, like, out of nowhere, chef's kiss. (laughs) Because it was that thing of we were just like, we don't know what the hell we're going to do. We're going to just let a child die, but, like, family. And then just, oh, I was the smartest thing. I was just like, yeah, on that day, I got wrecked. Nim and Ursula really coming in clutch. I, I, um, because I, I was trying to find solutions in that moment. And then I, I was like, I was looking at my character sheet. I was like, what moves do I have? And then I just saw it there, <laughs> scaly juice. And I was like, I think I started like vibrating. I was just like buzzing in my seat. You were really, really excited. Just like, wait a minute. Sammy tried to be like, well, no, it won't work that way. And I was like, actually, you said this about Scaly Juice. So actually, it yeah. does work that way. And Sammy was just like, fuck. Uh, yes. 
But the specific description you did of the child being weak and the specific description of the scaly juice making them strong, it was perfect. I hoisted you by your own petard, my dear. My petard is for the hoisting of others exclusively. (laughs) Uh, We've already touched on it briefly, but Rose Vista asks, for everyone, what was your favourite arc for your character and why? So this is arcs and character development as opposed to specific moments. I get to sit easy here. My favourite Cremora arc, I think, really starts in Death's Door. Like, the whole, like, um, not not just the fight and not just after that, but I mean, like, leading up to, like, the whole journey there, like, after we've um, worked out the location, after we've gone through that sort of stuff, like, going back to Magnus, um, all of that, I think. A lot of my favourite Cremora stuff happens in that kind of space. I especially liked Cremora's whole thing on the on the ship where she got to be, or in the ghost, like in the second, third ghost zone, in the ghost zone that came from the ship. <laughs> uh, yeah, where she got to be a community planner. <laughs> yeah, you know, we got to see this really positive side of, of her, or a really positive application of her intellect, you know, that mm-hmm. was much smaller scale, but ultimately obviously much more fulfilling. Yeah. My, my favourite arc for Nim, I mean, it's got to be the Border Forest. I went into it very specifically, you know, portraying this unearned confidence. Because I, I love seeing my characters get fucked over. It really, I, I think it creates so much room for growth and learning about Ursa. Like, not only was it a really humbling time for Nim, it was also, it gave her a lot of closure. You know, she learnt why she was different. That line about, like, she asked Ursa why she'd never revealed herself before. You know, like, I was so lonely as a kid. Why didn't you say something? And Ursa being like, well, I I couldn't, but I was always there. For Nim, that was very healing. I also just really loved the the entire arc where Nim's slowly losing her arm to Kartos and having the elemental mastery. Elemental mastery was so fucking fun. I loved it. Ultimately, I knew I couldn't keep it because it was just broken. But yeah, any any time where I got to put Nim in a situation where she was very obviously going to lose something, <laughs> like knowing that she was going to lose something, not knowing necessarily exactly what it was, and then figuring out how she was going to deal with that in the aftermath is some of my favorite, favorite parts. And also just getting to know Patsy in the Border Forest. The Patsy-Nim relationship was actually one that I think was quite necessary yeah. because up to that point, Nim had kind of been the de facto leader. But, you know, obviously, as as I said, in that arc, she was really struggling and getting kicked to the curb a little bit, deservedly. And and Patsy kind of comes in as this older friend with more experience who can just kind of be like, you're doing okay, kid. Yeah. Dad Patsy is best Patsy. Dad Patsy is best Patsy. <laughs> On the same note, I think my favourite arc, I suppose, of Jolene is the time that she spent in the ghost zone where she doesn't know she's in the ghost zone. Oh, yeah. Groundhog gay. So good. Yeah, Groundhog gay was really good. That one was really my favourite. It got to edge more into like the weird horror-esque stuff that I'm personally into, and I'm really glad that Sammy kind of leaned into it as well. I also really liked the initial arc, weirdly, of um, Jolene and her kind of like growing relationship with being friends. Up until then, she'd kind of been a very standoffish person, kind of like, I'll do things my own way, and if you don't really follow, then that's it. But then all of a sudden she comes across people who are like have stronger leadership and have sort of something that she wants which is in general the ability to keep her protected since she's just a regular person essentially except with some very 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 sharp knives and just seeing her interact like initially with Nim and Cremora and even Signana even though (laughs) at the beginning they know each other a little bit 
Main point is, is that anytime that she does emotional growth with her friends and or family, that's great. I love it. It was wonderful because, I mean, Jolene's whole thing ultimately was family. Yeah, like Jolene's whole thing is about family and on a personal level as a player, like family means a lot to me as well. So getting to kind of collect the pieces of a family that's kind of scattered to the winds and also build a family that's not of her own blood was really fun for me as a player. Basically, she's playing Pokemon with her with her friends. (laughs) Gotta love them all. Gotta catch them all. This just makes me think that the Patsy baby's just a Pokemon. Do you want to trade your Patsy for my chicks pockets knife? (laughs) (laughs) The knife can talk. Trade offer. I receive one Patsy. You receive nothing, fucker. (laughs) Signana in terms of arcs. I think Signana had sort of, well, like, pre-death had only really the slight arc of, like, moving slightly away from their own area. There was, like, a slight humility that was coming in, but that wasn't really explored. And then post-death, things just got weird. (laughs) Yeah, he spent a lot of time as an orb. Yeah. So, meat dragon. (laughs) That was, like, that's going to be covered in in the, I think it's the next question. Um, but yeah, as far as Patsy goes, I think like, yeah, the transition from like regular Patsy to sort of dad Patsy. Dadsy. I think it was sort of that finding that, like, I guess I had talked about it a little bit earlier, but moving from trying to establish who the character was to what the campaign has made the character mm-hmm. and sort of putting forward that wisdom and applying it. Like, I think the thing I liked about it is like Patsy is an oafish sort of character, but there was still a large amount of wisdom they could impart and it didn't feel out of place. He's emotionally smart. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I really liked those, the, like those arcs and like what I was able to sort of go through with certain characters, like especially Jolene, um, Nim as well, like Nim the Border Forest and just being able to drop like wisdom bombs. It was great. And I think that's just sort of made me feel very much like really in tune with Patsy as a character. Yeah, I really liked it when um, Jolene near the end is like, sort of like, maybe, maybe I'll just bail on all these people. And like, sometimes you just have to let people go because that's kind of what she's had to live through. Like, sometimes you just have to let people go in order to move forward and get what you want, right? Yeah. And when the party is flying towards death all the way off on the edge of the earth, which she didn't think existed until <laughs> like then. Um, she's like, well, if everything I knew and everything I know is going to be wrong or has been wrong for a really long time, maybe it's just safer to run away. And Patsy basically gets mad and like practically just scruffs her and says like, no, think this through properly. Okay. You don't want to do this if you regret it. And like, you know what? You're right. And I'm, I'm just really happy about that. Yeah. Oh, next question. Silent asks. Players, if there is one decision your character could go back and change over the course of this campaign, what would they choose to change and why? Sammy, same question, but for any one NPC. Yeah, I'll go first on this one. Uh, Kartos would have dropped a big rock on you all right at the start. (laughs) Just a really huge rock. Just mountain explodes, rocks go everywhere, we're all dead. Every single one I could think of is some variation of that for different characters who might have wanted to kill you. I was really actually thinking about this while we were talking. I think if Jolene had initially taken up 
Baramos's offer in the in the beginning. Really? Yeah, because if all that had happened, she wouldn't. She would essentially become an antagonist. Ooh. Not necessarily antagonist. Think of it. Think of it this way: her motivation is to make sure that her family is taken care of and cure her ailing mother at the time. But in doing so, she wouldn't have to continue on with these adventures or anything. She could just go home, right, and live happily. Mm. If she wasn't there then so much of what happens later would have gone completely different. Interesting. Probably not well, though. Yeah, it wouldn't have gone well. I do wonder whether it'd be the thing that Aramos would have then made that Jolene's call to adventure separate from the party, so Jolene Mm. somehow becomes a secret. Like, I guess you were saying antagonist. So Jolene regrets not taking that deal, or at some point regrets- I'm not saying she regrets not taking that deal. I'm saying- if Baramos had made the deal with Jolene before he had made the deal with Nim, right. what would have changed? Gotcha. Would he have continued to make the deal with Nim again afterwards? No. Or would he have just gone, okay, I have a seat hold of power in here. I don't really care about the rest of you. No, he would have gotten what he wanted. Yeah, he would have left. Oh, fuck. Cromoro would have died. Which means Cromoro would have straight up died. That would have been really interesting. Wow. Nime walks up holding Cromoro's body. Jolene, bro, you just missed him. (laughs) 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 God, no, I think, um, I think Cromoro's biggest, the thing Cromoro would change is uh, taking the damage uh, that killed her. (laughs) Yeah, that seems pretty simple. Hmm, wonder why. Yeah, just would have been alive, um, wouldn't have any, um, you know, motivation to change. Um, I think the thing she actually really would have changed would be like her descent back into necromancy and being like, well... Like, my conception of morality is now so skewed that I understand that this is a bad thing to do, but I also fundamentally don't care. And it's like, well, it's making... It's a means to an end kind of thing. And I think she would, as a character, she would go back and change that. I think as a player, I probably wouldn't. Um, But Cromora as a character definitely would. Um, I think... Well, I think I touched on it earlier. I don't think I would have gone down the meat dragon path. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest, like, it was the thing, like, I had a weird disillusion with the character. I don't know, it was really hard to try and portray Signana in sort of, like, the orb scenarios and trying to, like make something of like, well, what's Signana feeling? What's their disillusionment? And then sort of being like, oh yeah, it'd be that kind of thing. And then trying to, I think it got a bit too dark. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Yeah, there there was, I think it's a Mbimbam quote, but it's like, I do not like the energy we're creating in the studio today. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I just personally regret it. Like I could feel, it just felt weird. Felt weird. Me Dragon was a choice I would change. I mean, it's, I guess, a cautionary tale about improv yeah. and yes ending. <laughs> yeah. I love Meat Dragon. I just have to put it out there. I, I love that. <laughs> that whole episode is so, f- I just, I love it to bits. It was uncomfortable and it got too dark and yeah. I do agree with that. Yeah. But I think also then having one of the other orbs, like having Signana go, oh yes, I'm an orb, you know, this is just me. And then having Sammy constantly pushing back at it and going, no. Like, this is just, <laughs> this is just, this is just you. Like, you're you're doing this and constantly de-escalating. And I think that towards the end kind of took the edge off, I think, a little bit. I, yeah, I was going to say, I think ultimately, yeah, the vibes were rancid. But, yeah. <laughs> but the, the edited version ended up being so absurdist. <laughs> Yeah. That it undercut a lot of that. And and ultimately we ended up seeing this kind of broken side of Signana, you know, for the first time. We see more of his like actual insecurities and stuff. You know they're there, but you see them for the first time. And so you can overlook, you know, (laughs) 
meat. <laughs> making a making a dragon out of the spines of your enemies. <laughs> it's more of a metaphor. <laughs> I have a great affection for for meat dragons. I'll be honest. I'm on the same. I'm on the same side as. Uh, I almost called you Nim. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, as the same side as Ursula, like Meat Dragon was really funny to watch and really funny to experience. But that's only because I personally find glee in like. It's carnage. <laughs> Absurd is body horror. <laughs> Something you'll have to consider is that, like, when we have one of these weird emotional turns, that then becomes my life for a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. Sorry? I went into some dark places. I kind of wanted to say Nim wouldn't change anything because that's the kind of person she is. But I think the whole aftermath of Cremora's death, both as a player... And as Nim, I think I would have handled that differently, the way that Nim and Cremora's relationship went. I think Nim wishes she had been a bit more assertive about what she wanted and also that she was worried about Cremora. I would have played the scene where Cremora kills the guards and the blister would differently. I think in the moment I didn't really know how to react in character. So you can kind of hear in my voice that I'm smiling, I'm trying to make a bit of a joke out of it. But Nim in that moment was horrified. Yeah. So I think Nim would have handled that whole that whole thing differently. Both given Cremora more leeway and understanding, you know, because she just fucking died. Um, but also been a little bit more unequivocal with her and tried to get more straight answers. But I mean, I don't like I don't regret how any of that went. I think narratively it was interesting. It certainly was a period, I think, where Scarlet and I were still figuring out how to play that relationship mm. because we've kind of had this massive moment of like, they're in love! Except they're not. Now what? You know, like, yeah. I don't think we knew quite how to play that. You know, I, I think that that worked, I think, on a narrative level because the players didn't know, or the, the players, the characters didn't know what to do. Oh, for sure. And I think, I, I, think I, I agree, I would have probably handled that a little bit differently as well. Um, but, you know, it happened and we, we rolled with that. And um, I think it kind of going back to what you said a lot earlier about kind of how we handle death in Queer Dungeoneers. Mm. It's a thing where just like Cremora in that moment ran the numbers and said, I'm going to murder three people because it's inconvenient for them to be here. And it's recognised that that is a horrible thing for her to have done. Like, that is monstrous. Yeah, you're right. That's kind of the moment where, like, that was kind of a turning point in the campaign with how we started treating death, mm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, that is an awful thing for her to have done. And I think, and through Thin Red Line and through, through all of that, I think it's acknowledged that, like, she fucked that situation up. And that was the wrong thing for her to have done. But the reason she did it was because she was in a place where she didn't care about her own life, let alone anyone else's. Mm. Mm. And I, I mean, I think that was another example of a moment at the table where the vibes were a bit off. Yeah. But we got Thin Red Line out of it. We got one of like, one of my all-time favourite episodes from it. So, you know, we work with what we got. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it creates something amazing. Our next question is a triple combo. They're all variations on a theme. So Adrian asks, what is one thing you had so much planned for that never actually happened? A Nanny Moose is back with, is there anything you really wanted to happen that you didn't get to do? And Emma Queen, who asks, what was one thing you wish you could have shared about your character but never had the chance to? So, one thing you had planned, one thing you wanted to happen, and one thing you wish you could have shared about your character. In terms of planning, I initially started the game thinking that uh, playing as if Jolene was going to actually be an Eldritch Horror, honestly, because <laughs> that's where her inspiration came from. I'm just like, yep, she's just going to be some unknown force of chaos that just happens to be here, and you guys are now stuck with her. 
anything that I really wanted to happen that I didn't get to do was probably more probably more fighting honestly because like I said clicking math rocks and also the serotonin you get from dealing 24 points of damage to something that has 16 is crazy uh what was one thing you wish you could have shared about your character but never had the chance to um I think no no I think everything for Jolene was shown She's basically a manifestation of my uncontrolled Eid, so <laughs> if it's not already really apparent, like someone with ADHD just going like, yeah, let's just, let's do it. Let's do it. You want to go do, you want, don't you just want to go ape shit? Yeah. Jolene has ADHD. <laughs> Jolene has ADHD. Yes. I want to be an elder Chara. No, I want to be a traveling apothecary. Actually, I'm going to be a mom. Yes. All three. At once. <laughs> Who's next? So I think one thing I had planned, I guess, a bit for that I never actually got around to was um, the whole Signana playing the recorder. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I forgot that was a thing. I had gotten a old recorder of um, Tori and Scarlet's partner. I, I was getting ready. I was gonna gonna play that recorder. It was gonna be something in every episode. And thank God for the audio quality. Thank God for everyone's ears. Just thank all the things that that got broke. Quick, smart, Sammy. Quick thinking. Nice. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that was something I, I planned for. That I just sort of just it got discarded, and I was like, yeah, this feels right. In terms, of, is there anything you really wanted to happen that you didn't get to do? I don't think I really planned out too, too much for Signana or Patsy. I think it was very much reactionary to how things went. And I think so. I don't have anything that I had like pre-planned for either of them. And what was one thing you wished you had shared about your character but never had the chance to? I don't actually know. I think Patsy, Patsy I didn't even know about really. <laughs> <laughs> like Patsy, like we, we saw the character creation of Patsy live with Patsy time. But yeah, I think with Signana, Signana was a very surface level character that needed to develop depth. And I think that was perhaps something that Signana didn't get. So I guess that's an answer for my something I didn't get to do was develop full depth for Signana through the campaign. Mm. But I don't think there was anything I didn't share about him. Signana was a wonderful open book. A remarkable swan. I, I can kind of wrap the first two questions up into into one, um, which is the biggest thing that I had with Cremora was around the town ghost zone. And I think it was Ghostington was the name that it got eventually. It was Ghostington. And I guess Cremora had wanted, I really wanted Cremora to get super into the town and become like a fixture of the town's like community. Because I loved getting to be happy Cremora, like getting to know all the people in the town and like there was going to be like a big lake um, in the middle of the town uh, that was going to have swans in it. Oh, no. And, um, you know, she was going to come back and visit like all the time and like make sure everything was going well and, um, you know, just go an absolute fixture of the town. But obviously then, you know, the messenger came and ruined that. But, you know, that's how it goes. Ultimately, Cremora had this ideal of what she wanted to do and then it was uh, crushed in front of her. And um, th but the other thing, um, the, the something I wanted to do was when we after we destroyed the Black Gate and the the epilogue didn't really didn't really fit for me to for me to talk about this, but I wanted to create a symbolic kind of Black Gate replacement. And initially, it was going to be Swan themed. It was going to be like the two like wings of the Swan arcing down to form the top of the archway. 
But then after the final episode, um, I changed the design a little bit. So the base of it would be the two like tattooed arms with knuckle dusters on, or like brass knuckles, coming up and reaching and gripping at the tips of the swan feathers as a sort of, um, you know, this is what we lost to, to save the world kind of thing. Oh, wow, I'm in pain, thanks. I hurt. Anything I wish I could have shared about Cremora? Ah, uh, no, not really. I think we learned a lot about Cremora and her life. Oh, the um, <laughs> the thing I came up with that I shared with the group chat after the final episode, which is that after the main campaign and in the like intervening years, Cremora is still really afraid of the dark. Aww. And so like has magic nightlights and stuff and Nim gets bioluminescent fungi for her and you know, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I can think of one thing and I can cut this if you're not comfortable sharing it. Yeah, no, go for your life. But one thing that you've mentioned a couple of times is that Cremora is just a big old ace lesbian and it didn't ever really come up. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's true. Um, Cremora is a spec lesbian, and it just never came up because there wasn't really a space where it made sense to come up because we didn't really talk about Nim and Cremora's sex life. So, which is you know respectful, which is fair, like absolutely the right decision. Yeah, we really don't talk about ham boning on this show. <laughs> I've got to say, sex is not really a theme that we explore in Cutie. No, I don't think we're going to. No. <laughs> Queer Dungeoneers after dark, perhaps, but no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so um, yes, thank you. That is actually a good pull. Kimura was A-spec, was an A-spec lesbian, and was never super interested in, in sex, but that never came up because we didn't talk about sex. But it has, we- not that, but this did remind me weirdly of the other thing that I didn't get to do that I had things planned for was if Kimura had died and the character that I would have played had Kimura uh, stayed dead. That is, uh, I would have been playing a paladin and that is how I would have tied it into the, um, because as as Jared talked about with Patsy, it doesn't really make sense in something with the kind of narrative structure of Queer Dungeoneers for someone to just turn up and be like, well, okay, I guess I'll come along. But so they would have had their quest because in Dungeon World Paladins have a quest that gives them their power. They dedicate themselves to doing a certain thing. And this paladin, her thing would have been, she's seen like what Kart, at the time it would have been Kart, was doing and she thought it was a really important thing but no one else that she worked with really cared so she'd gone traveling to try and find the source of this elemental destruction and would have found the party and been like hey um i've seen all this shit going on do you know anything about it and then obviously they would and she'd have gone oh great can i come with you and help (laughs) and i think it would have been very interesting to see how nim and jolene uh, particularly had interacted with this new character but yes and that's how Scarlet would have made the most kitted out team possible yeah. Yeah. to literally smash everything in our path. Instead, we got Cassandra, yeah. who's much less confident paladin. <laughs> <laughs> well, she never had her powers for more than 10 minutes at a time. So. Well, mine's pretty simple. I mean, I'm in a different position to you as players because all my characters are still kind of wide open if I want to bring them back or have something happen in the future or like long, 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 long term plans. So I guess two things that I guess they're not done so they could still come up in the future and almost certainly will but number one revolution what's going on there <laughs> I'd love to know more uh, and number two would be romancy I think it was very in line with the QD stuff but never really had a role to play in this story like it came up twice but it never really I guess mingled with the core of the story in any major way which I think is interesting because it feels like it definitely should have or it could have easily so i guess there's that for anything else um just wait like five six years <laughs> <laughs> it's the long game being a gf is hell i have the patience of 
a peck and echidna, and I somehow still managed <laughs> to hold on to secrets for long, long times, and it sucks. I can think of something that you really wanted to happen. Oh, is this? Yeah, I guess it's an individual thing. Uh, you're going to say, uh, I thought the party were going to save Baramos. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> I, I thought that he was going to, in one way or another, get to kind of come back as maybe a person and just live an ordinary life for a little while and redeem for his uh, sins, considering he did spend literally centuries slash thousands of years working towards what I would consider the greater good in his own dark way. But, uh, that's not my call. In the end, I, I line the pins up and you'll shoot them with guns. <laughs> you I are mean, genuinely sad about Baramos. He's my favourite character. <laughs> you'll murder him. <laughs> Very quickly and easily, I might add. <laughs> Look what they did to my boy. Like, we eviscerated that fucker. Like... <laughs> Yeah, he's fucking dead. <laughs> he's so dead. I think it's very interesting how it went, though. But I, yeah. One thing that I had planned was, I guess, going back to like something that Nim would have done differently in terms of like being more unequivocal with Cremora in the period following her resurrection, I guess. I actually had a whole letter written out. Like, I don't know whether it would have been a letter or a speech when Nim was basically like, I'm sorry and I regret it, but you also can't hold this over me for the rest of your life. Um, and it just, the, the moment was never, there was never really a point where the conflict between them got great enough that I could kind of shove that in Cremora's face. I guess there was there was kind of depth of hurt there that Nim was struggling with that I never really got to to kind of portray. As for anything that I really wanted to happen that I didn't get to do, I would have loved to have had a con- I think Nim would have loved to have had a conversation with Baramos as well. Um, Nim's role by the time the final fight came around was definitely more of a support. Like Nim's Nim's shining moments were definitely in the first half of the campaign, just because of the way the story went, the fact that she was kind of the driving force for the very first part. I'm really glad that other characters got such huge moments to shine by the end, um, especially Patsy and Jolene. But like Nim was really betrayed. Like Nim had come to be very fond of Baramos. She thought that their goals were in line. You know, she'd kind of forgiven him for holding her soul above her head. It would have been interesting to explore that relationship with a redeemed Baramos, but it didn't happen. <laughs> One thing I wish I could have shared, kind of coming off that, I think it wasn't the right place to do this in the epilogue because we needed to have closure, there needed to be a little bit of happiness for the characters. But I think following that battle, especially when Cremora went back to uni, like, Nim was really fucking depressed. Nim had such purpose and drive for the whole campaign because she was always moving towards this goal. And then as soon as it was gone, she just had too much time with her own thoughts. And for her, it felt like going back to the way things were in her childhood, where she was different to everyone. And even though she knew why this time, there wasn't really like anyone she could talk to about it. And I think she probably felt a little bit out of touch with Cremora's world, given how academic she was and all that. So yeah, I think I think Nim had a really hard time following the the final battle, but as I talked about in the epilogue, she she finds purpose again by basically being druid mum to a bunch of lonely kids. <laughs> um, and you know, that moment where she meets up with Cremora for her graduation, I tried to convey this feeling of unease and then relief when Cremora's like, well, I don't actually want to go back to Magnus. I don't want to manage an estate. Like, I want to come with you. And there's, yeah, there's a very palpable sense of relief for Nim of like, our worlds aren't going to be so different after all. But yeah. That was really lovely. <laughs> Thank you. You did convey all of that, by the way, in the Apple, such as, such as it was. Oh, thank you. 
Okay, our next question is another another little combo one. So we've got from Little Listener. Were there any moments in the campaign that were very emotional for any of you, including Sammy? And Envy asks, most painfully emotional moment. And I, I do think we've covered this. Yeah. 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 All of the deaths. Signana's obliteration has got to be number one. Thin red line, Signana's obliteration. Yeah. Patsy unsewing himself. Patsy's final moments, yeah. All the time someone died, like mm. the the physical response yeah. of waiting to find out, like, like the heart starts oh, racing. Yeah. And I know when Nim died, my hands were shaking i was like oh i oh. felt sick when i was waiting for nim's death roll like because i knew she wasn't gonna come back if i didn't succeed i was like she's not gonna take that deal my chances of coming back have just gone way down if nim had died and come back i'm glad this didn't happen because i think it just would have been such a bummer to play but like if she died 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 her soul would have split with Ursa's and I would have changed class and then I would have had to play that out as like Nim being this kind of like half of the person she knew. That would have been painfully emotional. I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah, glad that didn't happen. <laughs> so yes, all the times anyone died. Also for me, I think any time that Nim confronted Pip because there, there ultimately wasn't really any closure there. Yeah, yeah. it was rough. It was rough. And there never will be because she's in the center of the earth now. <laughs> well, not the center. There is no center. She's very far down. Actually, that's a good question. How far down does the mortal plane go? Uh, infinite. If you Minecraft dig down, would there be a point where it just opens up into the into the void? No. I think the only place it opens up into the void is the... Is, is the void. The void. Yeah. The donut hole in the middle. Actually, yeah, maybe that's what happens. Maybe the hole gradually gets wider until it encompasses... Everything. everything so maybe yes and maybe the further out you are the further down you can go before you get to the edge of that mm. so it's like a upside down funnel yeah uh-huh. so like the universe is like an hourglass basically Whoa. where it's like it all funnels down into this one point and then expands out again yes. I-, I can't stress enough though i can't stress enough it's really far <laughs> <laughs> they're not coming back yeah they're, they're never coming back they're really, really, really fun. Do people out. live underground? Yeah, um, there's this one group of people who follow Tweet. Apart from them. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I guess we'll find out Ooh. one day. Yeah, my character my character in season two is really into strip mining. <laughs> <laughs> Someone with little tilts on either side asks for the players, what song or songs do you think sum up your characters? Now, for anyone who doesn't know, we do actually have character playlists. At least three of us do. I do, Scarlet does, um, and Tori does. I'll get around to it. (laughs) So if you're interested in songs that sum up the characters, they're available on the QD website, which is the links in the description. But if I had to choose one song... Yeah, you get one song. So here's mine. Uh, I'm not a character in this instance. I'm just the campaign. Tears for Fears, uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, I think, is a great summary of QD and a nice 80s beat. Give it a listen and then make a note of all the things that relate to QD. <laughs> Personally, I think it's... Should I should I spoil what happens at the end of my playlist? No, don't spoil it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, if that's the case... We kind of already spoiled it. <laughs> well, if, if you weren't listening hard enough, um, it's either that song or Pretty Maids in a Row by The Eagles, which is very country rock. I think for Cremora, if I had to pick one, I think uh, For Good from Wicked, I think that's Cremora's. Oh, that's cute. 
If I had to choose one song from Nim's playlist, I think it would be All Is Soft Inside by Aurora. That's a really good pick for now, actually. Yeah. I mean, anything by Aurora is basically Nim's whole vibe. Um, I think for Signana, it's, it's hard for Signana, I think, because I didn't really plan it flesh out. But I think like Walking on a Dream by Empire of the Sun, just mm. sort of the yeah. sort of like a esoteric, just like living in the here and the now. Yeah, if you watch the music video of that particular song, I think it was part of the inspiration for Signana's visual design as well. Oh, definitely. The um, the lead singer of uh, of Empire of the Sun was one of the actual things I linked to Tori for the art. For Signan. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for Patsy, it'd be there's a song called It's Called Freefall by Rainbow Kid and Surprise. And it's just kind of this like fuck it all kind of song. It's yeah, it just sort of talks about the depths of it, just like, I don't know, the grind, the the futility of a lot of what we do. And just I guess this a lot of the things that we have that hold us behind. And I think that'd be it's a very Patsy song. Can I suggest for Patsy Cinnamon by Nina Simone? I will look that up and actually listen to it. It's a very long song, but it's very good. Um, and it's very, I think it's quite patsy. Uh, so Maya asks, are you sad to be leaving these characters behind? Will they have cameos in the new campaign? I think it's always sad to leave a character behind on some level. You know, not inhabiting that space, not inhabiting that person anymore. But it leaves the opportunity open for new characters, new stories. So it's, you know, when God finishes a campaign, <laughs> she births a hideous, writhing, half-formed monstrosity into the world. And this metaphor has gotten away from me a little bit. But you get what I'm, you, know, you get what I'm going for. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to be real with y'all. I was very tired by the end of the last campaign, so... <laughs> Sammy was just like, just let having it a die. fresh one. <laughs> a fresh one? Yeah, heck yeah. I'll go for it. But, I mean, you know, um, I, I, I say I'll miss characters, but I'm the one with the most leeway to just be like, hey, this character I like, they're still here. Like, Quennel. I bet Quennel will show up. Yeah, Quennel will definitely show up. Just old Quennel. Quennel better show up. Yeah, Quennel better show up. Quennel and the guy that we found under the... <laughs> yeah, Qu- Quennel and Shimrel are going to be there. <gasps> Shimrel! <laughs> you guys forgot about oh, Shimrel. Poor Shimrel. I'm going to miss Nim a lot, but I also feel like I need to set her free. <laughs> I know what her future looks like, and I'm excited to be playing someone... <laughs> Something that I've said is that Nim is who I want to be. My season two character is more who I am. So that will be interesting. As for cameos, I guess maybe? But like if they come up. If they if they come up, they come. We're not gonna force it. We're not gonna yeah, when it's not something we really wanna put in the story because we do want it to be an accessible new starting point for people who may just be listening for the first time. It is a different story, it's a different situation, it's a different context. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're not Star Wars and we're not Marvel. <laughs> yeah. Like, on a personal level, you can expect no cameos from me, mm. at the very least. Jolene would never step foot near a university, so... That's true. She would burn on entry. Like a vampire stepping onto holy ground. <laughs> like, you could pretty logically put definitely Tremor and probably Nim as well. Like, there's a logical entry point for that, but whether you want to is the thing. I will probably avoid that, I think, unless it comes up naturally. Yeah, I've thought a lot about what my character's relationship might be to the druid community as a whole, but... Your character's, yeah, at the end of the day, still not a druid. Yeah, exactly. Makes you think. I think uh, this is probably the easier question for me, because, like, when it comes to Signana, I got the closure a lot earlier Mm. about leaving that character behind. 
And when it comes to Patsy, the voice was a literal burden. <laughs> so leaving it behind was actually refreshing and uh, made me feel nice. So obviously, uh, I, I don't feel as sad. I think I got, definitely got my closure about Signana, and then we don't know. I think that's another question later on. So we'll, we'll talk about that later with Patsy. Mm. Mm. Was that everyone? Did everyone say how sad they were to be? <laughs> So, from Andrew Mitchell, how has Cutie Season 1 changed your existing relationship as friends and more? Now, I have something really sappy that I want to say here, and that is that Cutie is all of our baby. We all put work into making it, but it would not exist on about four different levels without Sammy. It was her original brainchild, and she's the one who spends hours every week in Fortnite doing all the editing, putting it all together. And I, I, we live together, so I've seen the highs, I've seen the lows. Sometimes it's been incredibly stressful pushing through to get it produced, and Sammy is her own worst critic. Yeah. She often is like, this episode doesn't sound good, it doesn't feel good, I'm not satisfied with it. And then I listen to it, and I'm like... It's really good, you know? And even if it's not the perfect episode, like, we're not being paid for this. Well, well we kind of are. We kind of are. We are. We, we are bit. now. And we're, we're extremely grateful. Yeah, we're going to be paying ourselves $10 an episode from now on, y'all. $10. Um, but, you know, Sammy Sammy is in her heart a perfectionist, um, and she holds herself to an incredibly high standard producing this show. So for me, watching someone I love be this dedicated to something for three years, I'm really proud of her and I'm really inspired by her and I'm going to stop now because <laughs> I'm going to cry. Aww. Yeah, as, as, as Ursula said, I nearly said Nim there. As, <laughs> as Ursula said, I mean, we all, you know, we all put in the stuff for this, but having seen Sammy, so this is, t- we've changed the question a little bit, now we're just uh, praising Sammy. No! <laughs> but it's just watching this this creation develop, watching our brainchild. It started because Sammy was like, "Do you want to play Dungeon World? I want you know, I want to play Dungeon World and and make a podcast." Or we we're like, "Yeah, sure, let's do that." And you know, the first episodes is Sammy cutting out all the jokes about how it's just going to be her mum listening. And now, you know, just how far we've come, and it's it's been so wonderful to watch the show grow, but to watch all of you grow as as people, and it's been. It's been an absolute treat um, to be along for the ride. Yeah, Sammy's dedication to this is completely unfeasible to me. Mind-blowing. Like, as a person, I can't focus on one thing for that long of a time, let alone three whole years, pretty much every week. And, like, putting together something that, if you have seen how sound production is done, it's tedious. It is tedious and hard work. And the fact that Sammy has literally put in, like, three years or more of her life into this is amazing. It's it's. Something that I personally feel like I could never do, and seeing Sammy do it is is like Ursula said, really inspiring. So thank you, Sammy. Thank, thank you, Sammy. <laughs> y'all, I'm gonna fight you all. <laughs> Too bad you're all the way over there, and I'm all the way over here. You can't get to us. The second they lift this lockdown, Sammy's like, I love y'all. You know what I fucking hate? Your mouth noises, your fidgeting <laughs> noises, all of it. I hate it all. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You know, it is a weird nature of this relationship that I spend a lot more time hanging out with y'all than you do hanging out with me. (laughs) 
No, it's wonderful. I mean, it's uh, something I think I found very, very early on in QD was how nice it was to kind of almost get to pay respect to what we were doing as a group and each person's strengths through editing it together into a podcast, I think is something I found quite valuable and realizing what each person kind of brings to the table, even to the point of understanding everyone's like strengths and weaknesses in a way, you know, I don't know. It's a lovely way to get to know someone. It is funny because now we do have like this weirdly professional relationship as a group in a way, but not really, not too much. (laughs) (laughs) There's a professional layer to it that we have to put over our friendship sometimes now that we're so much more popular than we ever thought we would be, which I think can be hard sometimes when you're in the producer's seat, but it's also just another layer to the dynamic of friendship and the fact that we're all making this together. Yeah, a lot of it is very much like you just got to learn not to take it personally and stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, overcoming that rejection sensitivity when Sammy's like, stop fidgeting, stop it, I can hear it, shut up. (laughs) I was just like, okay, I'm sorry. So one of our big upgrades for season two is that everyone will be listening to their own audio while we record uh, so that you will all become your own worst enemy. (laughs) For instance, I, I am doing it right now for the first time and I've discovered that when I move my arm like this inexplicably you can hear it very loudly even though i'm just moving my arm a tiny hey, amount Sammy. it's rubbing against the table oh don't you dare oh. <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway i guess i'll be taking my arms and legs off for future <laughs> okay i don't know how you've put up with me ashla you must be a saint she is that's fair i've learned Patience. <laughs> <laughs> Every single week is just me. I don't know. I'm gonna do it. I'm a failure. <laughs> Ashley, help me with this thing. Okay, how about this? No, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Sammy. Sammy, let me do the music. The music for the very, very end. That last bit where it kind of swells up, and Jolene is like, "Hey, guys." She let me do that, and that is character growth. Letting me sit in the editor booth and make that suggestion, and then the fact you rolled with it, personal growth. I saw it, Sammy. I saw it. I acknowledge it. Thank you. <laughs> you relinquished control to me, and it worked, and you admitted it, and thank you. <laughs> <sighs> it's been a ride, y'all. And this leads me to a question that I had, because I have some thoughts on it. Has Cutie taught you anything about role-playing or changed your perspective on it at all, both when playing for an audience and in a home game? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we've all got an essay. When you got to sit back and reflect, you're like, wow, it's really weird how we venerate violence in this entire genre of games, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's number one. Uh, I guess that's number one. Anyone else? (laughs) I thought I'd, I thought it'd just keep coming from there, but it didn't. Jared had something to say. Oh, I guess I've got yeah, I've got a I guess a bigger spiel. Um, go for it, spiel. Yeah, no, just for strap in for the next half hour. <laughs> um, no, I think like couple things that QD has done for me. Like one is just like because there's that huge thing. Like I know people talk about it, like hearing your own voice and recording or like anything you produce that you just sort of feel like air about it. Mm. I had like commitment issues with things that I was like that I was proud of. So like I, I find it really hard to put emotional stock into something that like if I failed that that'd be something that would hurt me dearly. Um, and that was something I had to very much get used to with queer dungeoneers was sort of that opening up and trying to engage more and more and more 
And I think it was something I struggled with for at least the first long while, a long part of the campaign. And I've started to try and engage more and more. And I want to be really like, have this, like be more engaged. And yeah, I think this is something that QD has helped me with that has been a personal issue. The second thing, which is probably the biggest is, uh, hi, I'm Jared and I was a fifth edition addict. And I mean this in a genuine sense and not to make things trivialized. I had a level of transfixation on, I guess, 5th edition D&D and role-playing campaigns in general um, that really hampered like my ability to connect with people outside of it, the personal relationships I held, my close relationships. I look at myself before in the way I was so focused and one-dimensionally on it, and it was it was so toxic to me. And I think something QD taught me was um, the ability to healthily engage with it and not have it be something I had to plan for every little thing. And Dungeon World is a system, especially because there's only so many small choices you can make mechanically. Whereas I have so much I'd try and plan out with like the fifth edition games as part of the amount of like emotional stock I had put into things. And it was very, it was horrific for me and the people I had to interact with. And I think QD helped me develop a healthier relationship with it and helped me through a lot of this this has been a big transitional period for me um, through a lot of things. But yeah, QD has been a very helpful and healing thing for me in role-playing. Well, Jared, thank you for sharing that. No problem. I do just want to say, as a brief aside, like Jared's enthusiasm for season two has been something that's been really helpful driving Sammy and me forward. You know, because there's a come down from campaign one. Obviously, the world is kind of a piece of shit right now. We're all in lockdown again in Sydney. Like, it's been it's been pretty rough. And so it has been difficult to become enthusiastic for season two. And Jared, you were kind of one of the main people who was like, no, I'm really I'm really keen for this. Let's go. Let's talk about it. And it was just so needed and so appreciated. So thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? <laughs> Sorry, I should have waited to the end. No, that's fine. I-, I have a couple of thoughts. I think it can be really difficult for people sometimes who aren't part of our cutie game because we're playing this together. We get really enthusiastic about it. The finished product that that Sammy makes is obviously so polished. And I, you know, I know that we have friends who want to be able to play with us like that. I think it's a cautionary tale in what you actually see in a produced actual play. People expect it to be this amazing polished game, and I think it can be, and I wish more podcasts were like that, but we're a mess at the table, you know, like Sammy cuts out all the bullshit. It's not this amazing magical experience 100% of the time. So I think it's changed my perspective on how much work you can put into a product in post. Like it doesn't have to be perfect right off the bat. You know, ideally, ideally you want the best take at the time, but there's, there's a lot more wiggle room than I thought there was. I'm also very scared of putting things out there that I care about that people might reject or nitpick or, you know, whatever. But Seeing the way Sammy's dealt with QD has given me a lot to think about. I think there are different stresses when you're playing for an audience as well. Like, you're much more aware of your actions at the table. You kind of experience all the events of the campaign twice in the moment. You experience them as a player, but you also experience them as a potential audience member. Or at least I do. Like, I'm always thinking, how are people going to react to this? Are we representing ourselves well? Are we representing various identities well? You know, like something with Nim. Nim is obviously a dark-skinned character. 
And for me, originally, it was just because I thought the color palette was cool. You know, someone with dark skin and white hair and bright blue tattoos. But I wish I'd given more thought to it going in given that she is a grumpy druid and I realized that I needed to be compassionate in the way that I portrayed her so I didn't fall into that angry black woman stereotype, you know, and I, I was very deliberately didn't want to code her ethnically in any way, which in itself is its own Kettle of fish. Kettle of fish. You know, so I think you can you can be aware of various marginalizations and stuff, but it's kind of given me another depth of perspective on that. And also how I portray my own marginalizations, you know, like how I tell my own story, what parts of my experience that are painful that actually I might want to hold back that I don't owe the world, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> if I could just piggyback on one thing in there. Um, if you are at home and you are looking to capture the magic of highly edited content, uh, consider just like writing a journal after every session or like, you know, just keeping a record of the highlights of each thing and, and summarizing it like it's a story rather than like a campaign. And then maybe you'll have a record you can reflect on that'll show you just the good bits, <laughs> the condensed, interesting, nice version of it. Yeah, like also leading on from that, I personally, I feel like I have to shoulder some of the conscientiousness that kind of comes about when you play as certain kinds of characters. And part of that also lies with me as the arts side of this group, I guess, question mark. But I personally feel like I need to be more aware and more thoughtful about the choices that I make when illustrating our characters as well. It's a learning curve and I'm hoping that I'll be able to learn and be better in the future. So yeah. And I mean, that's all you can do. Like we're all going into season two with a new perspective. The things we've learned from this campaign, the things we've learned from being on a public platform for most of us for the first time, you know, there's a, there's a responsibility there that I think we've all realized and chosen to take seriously. We've all goosed it at least once. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think you wrote it or mentioned it before, like the the internet eye of Sauron will eventually turn onto QD somehow and, you know, like roast us in its flames at some point, I'm sure. Oh, I fully am prepared for and, and welcome the QD is problematic Tumblr post. I embrace its warmth. I, you know, like, I think it can be hurtful and it can be really difficult to be told when you've misrepresented something or done something hurtful, but ultimately you learn from it and that's the best thing you can do. And like, that community has shown a willingness to tell, call us out. Exactly. And I'm like, I'm thing. honestly so, so grateful to all the people who've sent us messages, given us feedback about the ways in which we have misrepresented things. It really informed the way I played Nim once she'd lost her arm in particular, because I didn't want it to be a focus. It probably swung too far in the other direction and got too in the background. But, you know, like, it's all a learning curve. So yeah, I just want to say I really, I really, really appreciate everyone who's given us that kind of feedback. I know it can be really hard to step up and call out your favorite creators, but we really do appreciate it and we really, really welcome it. Basically, we appreciate everyone. All right. Now we turn to the future. The future and the shit that people are itching to know. I'm itching to talk about Season it. two. Bree wants to know, will there be a second season? Yes. 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 There will be a second season. We've been renewed. <laughs> We've been renewed for another hundred episodes. No. <laughs> 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 oh. oh. 
I swear to God, if this campaign goes on for a hundred episodes, surely I will eat my own hat. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a second season. We're in talks. We're in planning. We've got most of our new audio equipment. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. The audio um, quality is going to be like a bit better. Marginally yeah, better. Yeah, better. A bit better. <laughs> We're trying. Blue asks, what are the plans for season two? Is there any information accessible to the public? Your information accessible to the public starts right now. Oh, really? Take the floor, Sammy. We will be playing a system called Pig Smoke. It's a powered by the apocalypse system about academics at a wizardly academy. In this case, the Academy of Natural Sciences and Magical Arts uh, going about their business, doing research uh, and getting into all sorts of mischief. It's really interesting to me as a setting because, you know, there's a lot of like magic school stuff, but I don't think there's much that's about being the actual faculty as opposed to being students. And I think that's neat. There's going to be all sorts of wacky stuff. There might even be people who have two characters because this is a feature of that system. And uh, it's going to be pretty sick if I do say so myself. It's going to be so cool, y'all. I'm really looking forward to it. And the character lineup for the players is kind of amazing. (laughs) Yeah. If you thought the characters in season one were wacky, get ready. Well, I mean, do people want to give an extremely brief outline of their characters? You get you get three words three each. Three words is so few. It's so few words. You get three words each. All right, I'll go. I play everyone. <laughs> Ambitious animated skeleton. Depressed Thorngan vet. Terranarian. Just to clarify. Really anxious fireman? Morrible Capybara Teddy. What was the first word? Marble. Marble? Oh. Oh. That's uh, a little seeds for ya. Yeah. In terms of when it's going to come out, it will come out in... <laughs> X. 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 Okay. And finally, our final, final question. Oh, I can't believe we got here. We did it, y'all. We got here. Thank you for sitting with us. From Courtney, a.k.a. Ashantiana. Is Patsy going to be in season two, considering he was literally born and is a newborn baby? Uh, maybe. Watch this space. (laughs) We're toying with it. I will just put on record that I am not voicing a season two Patsy. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just say Patsy's not the only thing crawling up out of the dark places of the world. That's good. All right, folks, we've been, we've recorded this all in one hit, so we're going to go, I don't know, crumple into a puddle on the floor now. <laughs> it's been four hours. Yeah. Yeah. This is longer than most QD recordings. Yeah. Uh, so thank you all for sending your questions. Thank you for listening. Thank you all so much for all the support, all the listening. Thank you for supporting, supporting us. us. Thank you all for saying so many nice things and being open and sharing, and it was great. Yeah, getting deep here on the Cutie main feed. If you want to hear more deepness, consider supporting us on Patreon, where we do many more little kind of back and forths like this. You can hear some more in-depth stuff about the characters, and there'll be more to come there as well. So have a fantastic day, y'all. We love you very much. I love all of you very much, my fellow crewmates. Crewmates? Oh, crewmates. crewmate. Cast members. <laughs> and they were crewmates. Um, and until next time, we'll see you soon. Bye. 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 No, you got one for the final. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> <laughs>
for listening. If you like this kind of content, head on over to our Patreon where you'll find GM notes, cast interviews and discussions, and lots of other fun bonus stuff. If you have other questions that weren't answered today, why not come say hi on the QD Discord and ask us there? We love hearing from you. We're expecting season two to begin airing in September. So until next time, bye! Get your fanfics! Fanfics! Get your fanfics here! Send us your horniest fanfics and we'll do it after dark. I can't even say no. that! Yeah! We'll read them out loud. We'll do a dramatic reading of your horniest fanfictions. <laughs> Bards, bring me your horniest work! <laughs>